a cliffhanger. Here she comes. No! And Die Hard 2. Comes the action-adventure event of the season. Open fire! Friday, December 22nd. Avasti, mateys, and welcome to Cinemarcade. This is the podcast about movies, video games, and the sparks that fly when those two worlds collide, much like the sparks that fly off of a pair of swords that are clashing together in a high seas adventure. I'm, I'm milking this too much. Uh, today we are talking about Cutthroat Island from 1995, notorious as one of the biggest box office failures in the history of film and it's got a wild story to that leads up to that as do most major box office failures so i'm excited to get into it but i have a hale and hearty crew of not landlubbers aboard i don't know pirate lingo i think that might put me at a deficit for this episode who's joining me a vast ye matey i am annie bonnie aka jban <laughs> welcome welcome and who else is here and i am the scallywag justin you are a scallywag. People don't say that enough about you. You've just you've got a scallywag kind of look about yourself. Uh, yeah, Cutthroat Island, a, a movie I knew about by reputation, uh, but had never gotten around to it before. I mean, here's the thing. Lots of movies fail and no one notices or they'll disappoint or they're anything like that. Some movies fail so spectacularly that they not only kill multiple careers, they kill an entire studio and an entire genre for a little bit. That's hard to pull off, but a lot of people were laying that on this movie. This became kind of synonymous with just uh, box office bloat and like kind of out of touch executives. So it's a whole interesting story. And I think with all of the news that kind of went around this movie and the reputation that was attached to its financial performance, I never actually bothered to see the movie. Because I just assumed, you know, probably a pretty bad movie, you know, I just, uh, you know, which isn't necessarily fair. Box office quality does not equate to film quality. So this is a, uh, that's my long circuitous way of saying this is a first time watch for me. But this is not for you, right, Jamie? You've no, seen this. No, this was a childhood joy really? to watch. I loved watching this as a little girl. There are so few action movies that have women as leads. And to watch Gina Davis, like, kick ass. Now, I'm saying watching it as an adult, you sort of, like some of the charm wears off yeah but as a kid there was nothing like watching a woman with a sword and i grew up to be a woman with a sword uh i fenced uh partially inspired by these and other movies i i did become a fencer when i was in high school and college uh but this was just an absolute classic for me would you actually say this is one of the movies that made you want to do it like I definitely i think okay. it might be the only female-led sword movie i can't think of another like um other than like a zorro and that was like has uh catherine zeta jones like having a sword for like four seconds as her clothes gets ripped yeah off. It, it, it still um, ends with her nude yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. but you know uh it's definitely gina davis uh really uh 
kicks ass and takes names in this show, um, especially uh, from a childhood perspective. Yeah, I can absolutely see it. I mean, I, I, I there's. There's a few movies I want to talk about sort of in comparison and contrast to this movie. And one of them was kind of the cutthroat island for me as a kid. Uh, and that's The Rocketeer. Which oh, was I love The Rocketeer. Similarly kind of old fashioned in its execution sort of in a way like because it was modern and slick, but it felt like an old fashioned kind of movie. It sort of opened the door to classic films for me in a lot of ways, uh, you know, and I can go back and look at old film noirs or like old serials or things like that and see all the influences that went into making it. So Cutthroat Island, definitely valuable in that regard. Is this the first time for you, Justin? Oh yeah. Okay. For sure. Were you aware of this movie at all? I'm curious. Like, did you, had you heard of it even as a, no. uh, in relation to its failure? Mm. I, of, I had not heard anything about it. Okay. Yeah. Kind of, kind of uh, lost the time. There have been bigger uh, box office bombs since then, but yeah, that's the question I wanted to come into this with is, uh, does this movie hold up? Um, and I, I'm going to discuss that in a moment. But first, I have to give the backstory on this movie because it's insane. It's a wild story. It's a really wild it's story. It's a lot of twists wait. and turns. It was funny because like, I saw on YouTube there's a documentary and I'm like, wow, this is probably very entertaining. But I didn't have time to watch it. Um, yeah. Uh, this is the product of film director Rennie Harlan. Uh he was an up-and-coming uh, filmmaker from Finland. He had had kind of a uh, a string of like low-key hits, but he seemed kind of poised to, to be the next big like box office like adventure guy. So like he, his big breakout here in the states was Nightmare on Elm Street Four, which many argue is the best one. I mean, it's probably the one with oh. the weirdest kills. I'm gonna give it that. I don't know I if it's. It, my... I think I remember the weird kills, but I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've watched four. I've only it's a, seen the first one. It's a deeply silly movie. This is the movie where Freddy gets revived by flaming dog pee. So <laughs> it's a pretty silly okay. one. But it also has like one of the most incredible sequences. Typical sequence. Freddy. Typical, Typical Freddy. It, it does have one of the most incredible sequences of any horror film, which is a, a, a young woman in her dream getting turned into a roach and then trapped inside like a, a sticky roach motel. And it's really cool and really weird. Um, so I'll give him credit for that. But yeah, after that, he directed movies like Die Hard 2 and uh, Cliffhanger. Ooh, so, okay. And he he was actually, one point, attached to a movie that we talked about, Alien 3. He was going to be the oh. director of Alien 3. I forget which pitch was his. I think he might have been the Wooden Planet. Wooden Planet? Yeah, I think that might have been his idea, but I forget exactly. I think exactly. you're right. I think it is the Wooden Planet. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about all the different like variations that film took, um, but I think that was one he was insistent on. So oh, and he directed four episodes of Burn Notice. Oh, there you go. That bringing yeah. it back around. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in 1993, he married Gina Davis, who uh, Gina Davis in 1993 was riding pretty high. So not only is she the most genetically perfect human being who's ever lived, she's also has a genius IQ, is an Olympic level archer, and was like a beautiful movie star at this Damn. time. Who was uh, she was an Oscar winner by now. And she was starting to prove herself as a box office draw because she had back-to-back -back hits with Thelma and Louise and A League of Their Own. And so now all of it's like, okay, well, Gina Davis is a movie star. What are we going to do with her? And her husband's idea was to make her into an action star. So they got signed to do two movies together. Uh, one of them uh, came out after this. It was called A Long Kiss Goodnight. And I love, love that, movie. that movie. I love that movie. It's so good. It is a hoot and a half. It's a great Christmas movie because it's a Shane Black script, which are all secretly Christmas movies. Um, so that movie, definitely check that out. But 
This one unfortunately had the misfortune of coming out first, and I think the bad press off of this one sort of buried The Long Kiss Goodnight a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, so Cutthroat Island came first. And uh, they were married for four years, mm -hmm. and when they uh, divorced... It was the day after her husband's illegitimate child was born. You might find a correlation there, I'm wondering. Yeah, yeah, there might just be. I'm just speculating on that. But um, but so I think the biggest mistake that they went to, that they made early on was going to Carol Co. as the production company. If you're not familiar with Carol Co., they used to be more ubiquitous in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, and they were the producers of the biggest hit film of 1991, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Oh. The problem with that, that movie, a huge hit, huge, huge hit. But the problem with that is that movie went wildly over budget. Carol Co. was already a kind of small independent production company to begin with. So they were nearly bankrupt. The profits that they were getting back from Terminator 2 were mostly going to James Cameron. And so uh, they needed another like pretty huge hit in order to stay afloat. And so when Rennie Harlan brought them this idea, they canceled every other project that they had oh on their boy. slate. They funneled, Always a good sign. They funneled all the money into this so that they could give them a $60 million budget to make this big, splashy, swashbuckling adventure movie. Uh, now, initially, they had a big star attached. They had Michael Douglas was going to play the male lead, um, but he had a very narrow window in which he could shoot. And as production kind of stretched out, he had to drop out. And this left the move the studio with a very expensive adventure film without a tested action movie lead. And they began casting a very wide net to replace him. They talked to Tom Cruise. He said no. Liam Neeson, Charlie Sheen, Keanu Reeves, Michael Keaton. They even went to Daniel Day-Lewis, who would never have done this in a million years. But hey, you had they had to try. They all passed. They finally landed on Matthew Modine only because... A, he was available, B, he was affordable, and C, he had some sword fighting experience. He was also a trained fencer in college. So, um, you know, Modine is a very likable actor. You know, I, I think most people know him as the lead of uh, Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket, mm -hmm. where he's very good. Uh, this movie sort of tanked his career for a long bit. I think he's kind of had a little bit of a resurgence. He was in the first season of Stranger Things, which yeah. was huge for him. That He's, was, I didn't even realize, but when I looked him up, that was the one that I was like, oh yeah, but then he was Joker in Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. He I had never a, would have guessed. He had a big part in The Dark Knight Rises. Like, you know, he started, he's, he's starting to get more and more work now, uh, which is cool. But this one really kind of slowed him down for a long time. Um, so yeah, the, the, and it, also just at this point, he just wasn't a box office draw. You know, a lot of people weren't thinking, oh, I'm going to go see the new Matthew Modine movie. So this put a lot of extra pressure on Gina Davis to open this movie in a big way. So casting issues aside, the production was a disaster and they faced multiple delays, uh, which caused the budget to skyrocket. So at one point, Rennie Harlan got into a fight with the cinematographer and, uh, fired him. And more than a dozen other cast members quit in solidarity with the cinematographer, so they had to stop production. It's hire, never like, a good sign people. when you have a ma like. Uh, usually, if there's a mass quit, then generally speaking, that director is yeah. kind of a dick. The person who yeah. stayed is the problem. We we could say to to use the parlance of the movie, there's not a steady hand on the tiller. You could say. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, th that a lot of people left. And then they rehired a new cinematographer who fell off a crane and broke his leg. So he needed to be replaced. Oh, my God. Uh, and then there were all these huge, elaborate sets. It's a combination of, like, real-life locations in like, Malta and Bali and a couple of other places. And then these really huge indoor sets at La Pinewood in London. And one of the sets, which is a, a big water tank where they had to do all their swimming... 
uh, a sewer pipe ruptured into that tank. So they had to spend a couple of weeks like and draining that and scrubbing it fully and uh, getting that all cleaned out. You know, and so as the budget ballooned even further out of control, Carol Co. Uh, could literally no longer foot the bill for this movie. Rennie Harlan had to go into his own pocket to pay for extensive of script rewrites and uh, cast salaries. And then there are also all these weird frivolous demands that like Rennie Harlan was making. So uh, Matthew Modine gave an interview and he said that Rennie Harlan insisted on having three cameras running at all times. Yeah. Like why? Why? What does that do? I mean, I get I maybe just wanted to be more efficient and get coverage well, or something. It's but... also because if you have three cameras and you do a shot that from an angle that you think like this is the way I want it. You have more ways to look back at it in post during editing and like, oh, actually, uh, I think this ta- like this angle. Uh, but yeah, it's well, I think it shows somebody doesn't trust their um, their script. Um, I think somebody who and and also like like can understand in theory from an action perspective because there was a lot of cuts in those action scenes. But um, instead of creating um, a sense of continuity and mapping, it sort of creates frantic editing, which sort of uh, is usually the death nail from a good action perspective. Absolutely. And 95 to like. I don't know, mid 2000s was kind of when that trend was really ramping up. I think it got really bad after the Bourne movies came out. It's just like shaky cam cuts and cuts and cuts. So you can't really make anything out. I'm so glad we've moved more into like the fluid, like John Wick style, long take action scenes. They're so much more impressive. And I think it's really interesting to compare this with the other pirate movie, um, Mm -hmm. Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. See, that was the one for me as a kid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but again, no woman with a sword. Um, yeah. A woman gets to faint. Yeah. Huzzah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we've, they, div- we've progressed. <laughs> at least it's feminist in the sense that uh, they made it clear it was the very tight corset they were forcing her to wear that made her. Which wasn't even yeah. at the time. You didn't wear corsets for restricting, um, like, it, 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 I. <laughs> There's nothing worse from a uh, so I've done historical costuming. Uh, I, I did it a lot in college, and it's just so stupid. At this time period, you didn't try to get a tiny waist. That's not why you wore a corset. Um, it was so fucking stupid. Yeah. But- yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, yeah, and we're definitely we are going to uh, cover that whole trilogy. Bridgerton. 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 Bridgerton, is that with it? Bridgerton has whole scenes where people are using uh, or trying to tight lace. A Regency, a Regency underwear looked like a bra. Okay, it, it wasn't a corset. It was maybe a long line corset, which looked like a like a bustier. But it was just like, <laughs> it is my biggest I, pet peeve. I did not know this was a button for you. It is so. It makes me so angry because it's always like coded. Uh, this is this is how uh, women are oppressed. Wearing a corset feels really. If it's a properly made, I've made historical corsets. Uh, it, it feels nice. It feels like you've got like this really gentle back brace on, so you've sure. got perfect posture all the time. But it, like no time throughout the history of the world was tight lacing a thing. Uh, very often, like the like there's a slight little hiccup in the um during the civil war era but it was just like not even mm. i feel now it's just kind of like cinema shorthand for uh look how hard women had it back then yes it, it, that's exactly yeah. what it is and it's so lazy it's yeah. such lazy especially considering there's a lot of 
ways a lot of other things well i think it's really funny because um like unlike in this movie and um uh, Cutthroat Island. Yeah, she's not wearing any underwear a lot of the time. No, um, she seems very she's comfortable. Very, she's very like I was like, um, this shirt is a little see-through, madame. <laughs> um, uh, I didn't. Oh, see oh, all. darn. Yes. <laughs> oh no. No, but gonna have to watch it back just to make sure. <laughs> uh, so. And then there, there was this also there's this confluence of bad luck in terms of their distribution. So when this movie is coming out, uh, MGM was going to distribute it and they were being sold like they were in the middle of a big transition point. So they couldn't really afford any money for marketing. Carol Co. filed for bankruptcy. They just uh, like well, a month before this movie came out, they filed Chapter 11. They are no longer a company because of this movie. Uh, so basically, when this movie finally came out, there's no money left to promote it. And in its opening weekend, it debuted at number 13. Uh, usually, they don't even report beyond the top 10. This one came in 13. In total, it would only make back $10 million. It cost upwards of $120 million to make. So this was a massive, massive money loser. What time of the year did it come out? December, late December. Ooh. Yeah, right at the end of the year. They just kind of snuck it out. Um, so this this made it the biggest box office failure of all time at the time. And even when adjusted for, adjusted for inflation, this is still the fifth biggest money loser of all What's time. What's number one? Number one is uh, another movie I will uh, like an old fashioned type uh, adventure that I kind of defend. John Carter oh, from I Disney, seen John a movie I kind of like. I think people okay. are coming coming around on that one a little bit, but it was that one was a huge flop as well. But yeah, so this also seemed to put a cap on the entire pirate movie genre. Now, pirate movies are a staple going back to like the dawn of film, you know, because it's just sort of a timeless adventure story and it always works. But then by the time you get to like the seventies and eighties, uh, the pirate movies that are coming out are few and far between and they are box office poison. There's a movie called yellow beard, uh, with Eric Idle. There's a movie called, uh, called the pirates from Roman Polanski. Both of those were just massive, massive flops. And then this one just seemed to kind of uh, put the final nail in its coffin. It's just like, all right, well, apparently pirates are no longer profitable. And as we'll see when we finally talk about it, that's kind of the reason that Pirates of the Caribbean was looked at as such a swing. And it was such a risky move for them to make that movie. And uh, we'll we'll compare and contrast when we get to that one about all the different ways that uh, they tried to find a more winning formula now this movie maybe a good script maybe a better script okay oh i I also looked up these screenwriters okay the so it's two screenwriters it's robert rich or robert king and uh mark norman robert king after this uh his most recent thing is he's the creator of the cbs show the good wife oh which is like a big acclaimed emmy winning show and mark norman his very next project after this was shakespeare in love for which he won an oscar and that was his last project too. He has not that worked is so since. So shocking because they're both those projects are both very well written, but it just feels like. And I'm I'm super curious. Like maybe these these are the writers who got the credit, but maybe the director had a lot of like, yeah. Because there was just a lot. There were like again when I was a child, loved this movie. Mm-hmm. When I was watching it as an adult, I was just like 
is that the line? Is that the line that made it through numerous edits? Yeah. It was like, it was, I'd be watching the movie and then a bad line would come out and I would just be like, ouch, like really? And it would just completely take me out of the movie because like, I just felt the writing was so bad. The thing that always takes me out and this movie does it really bad early on is bad ADR, you Mm -hmm. know, when like the the dialogue is very clearly being dubbed over and it's just... There's very little attempt to give it some uh, uh, accuracy. I feel like that's so, Rennie Harlan does that a lot in his movies. I think that could just be you know a European thing because a lot of European movies are dubbed regardless. Like that's just the way that they're done. But uh, it's always a little distracting for me. It makes the movie feel just like twenty percent cheesier than it needs to. Yeah, and it's it's something that uh, again. It was a a Star Wars related production quote, but it was like somebody said to George Lucas, uh, people don't talk like this. Yeah. And uh, there was a few different times where I was like, that's a really weird and uh, way to say like a really weird and like longer way to say something while you're being chased and about to die or something. Yeah. Like. Uh, I, I will. We'll get to the final line. Brevity, but uh, yeah. Oh man, the final line of uh, <laughs> of the, the the final line that of which he's delivering the killing blow to the bad guy, dog. A d a w g. We need to make that very clear. His name is Dog. Uh, is pretty painful and pretty hilarious. And she also <laughs> the the line earlier of uh, at the beginning of the movie, pretty much of uh, I took your balls. Right, I was yeah. like, right at the beginning. I mean, okay, that was a thing. This like, is it's it's gonna be that like level of like cheesiness. I mean, I I will also There's so many better things that could have been said. There's uh, one more thing that uh, kind of gets laid on this movie unfairly, and I think it's just kind of a cop out. It, it, it was um, female led action movies <laughs> dried up pretty bad after this. Like, I think the next one that we got would be like 2003 <laughs> with Aeon Flux, which was another huge bomb. So, like, that became... Well, and I think there's something to say that... um, I think it's so interesting (laughs) when you compare this to something like Alien. Because in Alien, she's not the only woman. And a lot of these female-led action stories, they're the only woman. They're exceptional. It's almost like they live in a vacuum where they're the only woman that exists. And I really... I can't stand that. Uh, And it really... I think it really undermines um, a community of... Of women, but also like it just gets so annoying when you get these female led action movies and uh, they have a budget, but then like they just aren't good movies. And you don't, you you get lots of men who get to make terrible movies. But like, yeah. And here, I think that's part of the problem because this movie was a female led movie written and directed by men. Yeah. uh, And it, it, Look, we all know that sometimes men struggle to write a good female character or a, anything around a female character. Well, let's go with, like, with the opening of this movie. She opens up slipping with a sleaze ball. Yeah. Like an absolute sleaze ball. And it's not like, and it's sort of portraying her as a James Bondian type character who sleeps with who she wills. Yeah. But it's just like, it, it was just so stupid. Like, please make the person that she's sleeping with attractive yeah like or like sexy but he's just slimy and it makes you think less of her that she's slept with this piece of shit well and that's the thing that they always used to try to do with uh female action characters is 
since the writers don't know how to write women, they just wrote men. You know, so they just they they make her like that's the way they kind of level it out is they make her behave like a man and then they'll throw in little jabs like the balls line that you mentioned to make it feel like it's more of a uh, a feminist kind of girl power sort of moment. And that's it's it's a hokey bit. And, you know, I I OK, well, let's talk about Gina Davis in this movie, because. All right. So I'm, I'm going to preface and say overall, I had a pretty fun time in this movie. I think I. Had I seen it when it was new, uh, like like you did, J-Man, I think I absolutely would have been able to look past a lot of the flaws that I wasn't able to look past this time because I think I would have been so much more on board. Um, but I did have a oh, generally a good time with this movie. But Gina Davis in this role is a little perplexing. Now, I love her to death. I think she's incredible. Um, she is 40 years old here, you know, and she looks fantastic, but... I don't know if this character is meant to be a 40-year-old woman. See, I don't have a problem with her being 40. What I have a problem is that they set her up as a, an idiot child to start off with. Yeah. When d- that's clearly not her age and her stake. She should be already captaining her own ship at this stage in her life. Um, also, that um, it's just like, so she fits so well in something like Thelma and Louise yes. or A League of Their Own. And she goes in and out of this old-timey perspective. So at one moment, she's like, um, she's an old-timey pirate. And the next moment, she's like a, a girl power um, quote um, or tagline. And it's yeah. just like, it's very jarring to go from, like, you'll be watching her kick ass. And then she says something so fucking stupid. And you're just like... This doesn't. Like, this line doesn't belong in this world. When when she was talking her way past the the guards to talk to, I forgot the dude's name. The guy who had Shaw. the piece of the map. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she she was like, "Oh, I'll take care of you, and I'll take care of you too." And I was like, "What are we doing here?" Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, those two, whenever they have banter, like their banter is kind of just reduced to like. A lot of dick jokes. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's a lot of, I'll show you mine if you show me this yours. When, like, yeah. Not with Shaw, because Shaw was the uh, the opposite of her, right? Uh, Shaw's I was, Matthew Modine, yeah. Yeah, I was talking about when uh, when they were going to see the Mordecai. guy. Mordecai. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that, uh, like, those guys, like, it's just, sometimes you're just like, why? Right. I mean, it's all, all, the my only whole... way she gets through that is by dressing up as a sex worker. Well, yeah, and that's using how you do it. her charms to get because through. they can't tell a face of a woman when she's wearing when her lady parts are out. <laughs> exactly, that's going to distract. It's like, oh my god, she's a world famous pirate, and we can't, and she's been here before. And look. I'm just going to say it. I don't think uh, a woman who has spent 40 years living on the high seas is going to have skin that good. I'm sorry. I just don't think she will. I think she would her teeth I've, to be falling I've, out. She's a hard drinking, hard fight. Like, she's she, much younger. She should uh, be all scarred up and like, but she's, she's just like a glamorous and like ready to go at it. And look, it's the movie. I'm not, it's the, it's oh, the vibe she had of the fantastic movie. hair. Whoever was doing her hair oh, yeah, for this hair. work, man, like she was doing like so much and like, you need to put your hair up if you're in an action sequence. No, yeah. it's fine. No, it's not. Not if you ever like been in a sword fight with hair in your face, you, it doesn't work. You just guess. <laughs> That's usually not a good rule you of thumb start, when using blades. You just start making assumptions and hoping for the best. 
See, that's that's where the luck comes in. Just just a blindly jab, yeah, yeah, and something will work out eventually. So yeah, the, the movie starts Embrace off with inner uh, with her like um, her liaison, mm-hmm. uh, and then of course her running away from being captured, and like some of this action sequence is so fucking stupid. Yeah, like the action sequences go way too hard way too early like for example she's a pirate and they fired on a town yeah with explosives which again that's not how cannonballs that is not work how a cannonball no. works cannonballs put holes in things that's they, they literally do. shoot an entire town up just trying to capture her for stealing a carriage and yes. it's so fucking stupid and it's, it's, it's like- no sense of proportion no. it felt like a really dumb way of like saying oh that's how dangerous they think she is, even though she's very clearly not just like a random murderer or whatever. She's not she's a pirate, but she's not like out there to execute everybody they meet. Um, she seems to at least to be somewhat uh, normal as a pirate. Yeah. Um, well, I I think this is kind of speaking to overall the the big problem people have with this movie. This movie for better or for worse, this is a resolutely old-fashioned movie. Like we talked, we mentioned. Uh, oh, you okay? You mentioned Zorro earlier. I think yeah. that's a good comparison too. Zorro and The Rocketeer are both similarly old-fashioned movies. They're playing with a classical genre, but both of those two movies like have little winks. They have little nods that uh, uh, they they have little ways that they're updating the script or making things a little bit more relevant to the '90s when they were shot. This is a movie that the only thing that's like contemporary about this movie is the budget and some of the accent work from the two leads. That's about <laughs> it. The rest of it is like, it, it, and it's got a couple of like ribald jokes like thrown in there. But for the rest of this is just a classic pirate adventure. It yeah. is not a coincidence that Matthew Modine is styled to look exactly like Errol Flynn in yes, this movie. It yes. is not a coincidence at all. You know, um, well, let's talk about Modine too, because you know, again, he's he's just an actor to me that reads very modern. Um, and it was true in Full Metal Jacket as well, like where he did feel the and it worked there because his character is supposed to be a little a bit of an outsider from the rest of them. Well, it feels very modern. Here. With Shaw's character, he doesn't like he's either playing the damsel in distress or the cad and he doesn't have the ability to play either one of them very convincingly because again i don't think it's the actor's fault i think it's the script's fault yeah he's uh, a cutie that, i think uh, i think no, he's, he's charming he's very cute but like yeah. having someone like michael douglas who like like the romancing the stone type of character is what i believe they were aiming for with this right. guy uh but he just sort of, sort of has this sort of like um this sort of childish joy de vivre that just doesn't carry over to um uh, to, to to a very strong uh, chemistry between uh, Gina Davis and Matthew Modine. Yeah, I think like they're he's, adorable he's, together. Yeah, uh, but they're they're not like burning up the screen like say in Romancing the Stone. No, he he's like a, a like a little bit of a rascal, but he doesn't feel dangerous in the same way that like you know I I I wonder what kind of movie this would have been had they kept Michael Douglas. He would have been you know, 10 years older than he was when he was doing Romancing the Stone, he probably would have been playing a pretty different character than the one they landed on with this younger man here. But I think he would have brought the right energy to it. And he does tend to have a lot of chemistry with his leads. And he, and he feels 
Michael Douglas's whole thing is that he feels a little scuzzy and a little dangerous. That's mm-hmm. what he whole, made his whole career in the 80s off of. And I would have liked to see what kind of like grittiness he could bring to this part. But I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I think uh, I think that would have been fine. I, I don't have a said, problem with what Modine I is doing I feel like here. the thing that this movie excels at, mm. uh, but it's hard to pay attention to it excelling, is the fight choreography mm. um, and the action sequences um, are over bloated but like the bones are good the yeah. bones of the action sequences are really good like Jeannie Davis did really good work with her stunt double like there, there was actual she she actually did some falls I yeah. could tell um, and, and then there are some that are really painful like green screen yes. stuff like when she's yeah. falling on a table like yeah. it's like oh boy okay that's an insert yeah. shot after they ran out of money there, there was a couple different shots where I was like I can still see the green edges yeah. on the on the mat, like on yeah. the plate, you didn't do anything to clean that. Look, up. It, it was an early technology, but <laughs> it still, was, yeah, yeah, it was that looked a little um, rough. But yeah, no, I mean, I I appreciate the swashbuckly nature to this movie, and you know, this is a this is a two hour movie, but it clips. You know, it moves, it really moves at a pace because. You know, if you're bored every 10 minutes, there's going to be an action sequence, yeah. you know, and it's going to be way too long and too many explosions, but well, it's going to be and fun. And it's so funny. Uh, it takes so many set pieces from classics like Raiders of the Lost Ark with the monkey, uh, as well as a couple of other scenes that they, I, I believe were uh, lifted wholesale from Raiders. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a character named Montana Smith. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I mean, no, it's it's. Uh, uh, very derivative in a lot of ways and you know it's it's meant to be a throwback but even by the 90s like the people who would have remembered this genre of film was getting to be pretty old you <laughs> I know you're about to say the people who remembered the days of piracy yeah there were very like, few and I have, yeah well and i <laughs> have vampires? to say um i was thoroughly entertained i didn't have to pause the movie i didn't have to um like uh, there was definitely moments where I was knocked out of the swashbuckling world. Yeah. Um, and there was definitely like a little bit of um, inconsistent characterization. Yeah. Uh, that were was jarring as an adult that you gloss over as a child. Oh yeah. Um, but there is set pieces. Like I just wish there wasn't so much explosions. Like there was no reason <laughs> yeah, to have so many insane pyrotechnics in um like i don't know have you guys ever seen master and commander yes that is that is how you do shit battles i love that movie so much it's such oh. a good movie it's so good it's so so good really was the year when like Piracy nautical adventures back. started yeah. coming back because master and commander Oops. didn't like make as much money but it was oscar nominated and it's looked at now as a classic you know um, so I- do you think that the scoring, speaking of yes. like nautical themes, I feel like the scoring in this movie was actually really good. It yeah. reminded me a lot of the Goonies, actually. Kinda, yeah. It, it, it went pretty hard. It, it's yeah. a great score. Yeah, it's exactly what you want for a movie like this. Like it's gonna get you hyped up. Yeah. For it. It, um, it, yeah. It. The right score just maybe uh, not quite the right movie in the sense of like it. It didn't live up to the score at times because you're just like, all right, well, this is the fourth time everything's exploded so far in the movie. Yeah. I'm way less excited, but the music's cool. Yeah. 
And uh, it, it was fun for Frank Langella to turn up as the bad guy here because mm-hmm. I feel like whenever he takes a villain role, especially like in the 80s, 90s, like he commits so much harder than the material requires. If you need any further proof, just look at his turn as Skeletor in the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe movie <laughs> with Dolph Lundgren, where he is just like playing it to the absolute rafters and having so much fun like he makes that movie fun even though it's like a functionally broken like completely unwatchable movie but he's he he makes it really fun Uh, steve was just staring at me and this fidget spinner because i kept making noise with it (laughs) if you're hearing clanks on here it's not somebody working on pipes it's uh which one was uh that guy oh franklin joe played dog okay yeah yeah. d-a-w-g dog i love it such an interesting character to me uh purely because he always seemed to be just quieter than he probably needed to be well he's good at doing that low-key menace kind of thing and then he'll then he'll just crunch on the scenery when he needs to there there was a couple times where he was doing that low-key menace thing and he was meant to be addressing like multiple people but I don't think the person next to him would be able to understand what he was saying. Oh, yeah. Let alone the seven other people on the ship that are, like, around him that he's talking to. Oh, I was and they, like, they do a fun thing with that, that I wish more movies did, which is have a henchman with one weird thing. Like, one thing that's, like, <laughs> historically loved- incongruous. <laughs> So, uh, the guy with the chain. The chain arm. Snellgrave is the name's character. Like they could have given him a scarier name than Snellgrave, but he uh, has like a chain and a claw like on the end of his arm, and he uses it to do all these crazy kung fu and grappling hook moves. And uh, it, it's it's just really fun idea, and I wish more movies did that. It used to be a staple of the Bond movies. It was a staple, yeah. of and that's sort of movies. gone by the wayside as they got more serious. But yeah, bring back another Jaws type character, please. Yeah, I mean, odd job, and yeah, yeah. We just need somebody with a weird quirk. Yeah, absolutely. And then don't don't talk about it too much. Don't focus on it too hard. They're just there, living their life, doing their henchman things. Yeah. No, and how useful would a map be if it was on your skull? Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, Of course, incredibly inconvenient because you can't use it. No. Someone else has to. Yeah, you need to. You can't go, yes, here is, all right, 42, uh, yeah, and then here, you have to just like, one, be, keep, stay bald, and two, have a friend who really handles your head a lot. Right. Well, and like, what if you go naturally bald? Like, and then you've just got this map exposing itself to the whole world, you know? Like, you didn't plan that. And like, did they. Did they like proportion it so that because it looks like when it's on when they scalp yeah, him and use it as a map, did they use? Yeah, they would have was shrunk down to be was more. This... Yeah, it's more accurate. But like, was it just kind of all distended, like it's written on the side of a balloon when they tattooed it on him? Like that's some weird reverse engineering optical illusions. <laughs> the other ones was on a piece of wood and a piece of parchment. Yes. So the parchment was just lazy at that match point. Making yeah. or uh, map making uh, methodologies, honestly. I mean, look, this is kind of the MacGuffin of the whole piece is that they need to run around, look for these three pieces of a map to get to the legendary Cutthroat Island. I I kind of forgot the lore and backstory, so my apologies. Uh, Who is it that decided that this was the way they were going to Infinity Stone out their (laughs) map, which was like, all right, uh, I know of this really cool place. 
George, get over here. I need your head. Uh, Tim, you've been working on like woodworking and wood burning and stuff. Break All out right, your sweet. lathe. Uh, and Steve, you're the only one here who knows how to write. So. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, that's they must have just like really trusted each other and like divvied this up. And it's such an elaborate puzzle, but it's also like an insultingly stupid puzzle. I think everybody yeah. in the audience is going to be ahead of what it's like. What are these numbers on this mean? I'm like, she, motherfucker, you're a pirate. What she, numbers do you use? She literally reads off a few numbers and then goes, there's not even a latitude here. Those numbers were the latitude. <laughs> right. What are you confusing it with? It's like, yar, the, these are the answers to me, Sudoku puzzle. Like, what, what, the, what the fuck are you doing? They're obviously their latitude and longitude. <laughs> Like there's nothing else it could be, oh but like then, we need this whole dramatic moment in the middle of okay. a fight sequence when they're blowing up their second town. And I do appreciate that Modine commented on it. It's like, yeah. oh, this is the second town you've destroyed completely <laughs> for no reason. Uh, you know, so like, I, you know, you know, they're supposed to be like up to no good and whatnot, but it is you, you do have uh, to think like the infrastructure damage here is ridiculous. Look, I. No, they may not be as well-educated as we are in modern-day times. But you didn't realize it was just backwards? Yeah. And not Latin? Yeah. You didn't see an L and go, oh. Yeah. I get it. You know, and it, it, it all kind of culminates. Like, I, I was kind of surprised how much time is actually spent on Cutthroat Island. Like, they get to the island and there's an hour left of the movie. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, yeah. oh, wow, okay. I thought this was going to be more of like a Lost Ark kind of thing. But you do spend a lot of time on this island, including lots of the expected high-flying, like, swashbuckling kind of stunts. Like, you know, they, they have to fall off a cliff into the waves. And they definitely hit that rock so right? they yeah like 100 they 100 they're, they're, they're dead they're dead but dead. also whatever that guy's name the the pirate chronicler oh, who John like Reed. betrayed everybody yeah. by sending a pigeon <laughs> through for, a hurricane through a hurricane uh to get the british uh forces there that's not how homing pigeons work no. that's not how pigeons work and it's so and like they are literally like what do they travel at the speed of light uh <laughs> how did they get there they're just email that's all they are I, they're early email <laughs> i love the idea that he's just like goes up to the top deck and everything is a fucking disaster there's wind and rain and he just kind of like opens his coat pulls a pigeon out and goes find the british <laughs> And then sets him off. Be free. Like, I would have loved a shot of, like, the, the pigeon just immediately gets blown into the side of the ship and just falls into the water and a shark eats it. He gets caught by the mass when the wind blows him into it and gets tangled up. A larger seabird uh, just snatches at it. There's a million ways, there were reasons to think that also, bird wouldn't make it. Also, I thoroughly, that jump down where they definitely died. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was watching it and I'm like, 100%. There's. If the waves happen the same way that they've been redoing the waves every time, yeah, they're going to be splattered. And then uh, all of a sudden, some magic water came over and special effects. Yes, yeah, just get it like washed away and they're it's fine. Like, all right, that's I forgot y'all had a green screen. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and we we get a, a pretty decent like final set piece showdown. I was surprised that like none of the tertiary like pirate characters died like except for like the mordecai character in the very beginning that's yeah. the only one that usually like they'll they'll kill off like one of the yeah. familiar faces one just so we have and it's, it's so but. funny because they they have these extra characters they have so many extra characters. So many characters and honestly like i feel like they could have 
cut the background budget or background people by half or two thirds and it'd be more than enough population for the towns and for the ships. Um, and I think it's really interesting. Uh, another pirate mo- uh, show uh, that I think does things really well is uh, Our Flag Means Death. Oh, see, I keep hearing and, that's great. I haven't watched uh, it. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, Taika Waititi mm-hmm. is dreamy. So it was uh, Reese Davies. Um, I have such a hard time. See, I'm just so familiar to Reese Davies from um, uh, the Fly of the Concords TV show, and I have such a hard time thinking of that character as being dreamy. Well, he's not so much dreamy. He's he's the soft boy. Yeah, he's yeah. He's a soft boy. Sure. Uh, it, it is just such a lovely, like, soft boy, uh, bad guy romance, and it's just like, they're like, uh, it's so charming. And uh, But the thing is, is that they have... They have a good five, six characters, but they keep going back to them. They develop the characters. I feel like they're really like there's a little tiny character arc for the young, the guy. I think it goes on to be in Malcolm in the Middle. Yes, that is Christopher Um, Masterson. Yeah, yeah. uh, Like he like he finds his courage. Uh, But even then they have no real like like it's very subtextual that he finds his courage. Which which one are you talking about? Are you talking about the the young blonde kid? Yeah, the cabin boy or whatever. Oh, okay, Gotcha. I could have done without him just because I kept thinking he was Matthew Modine, like because they're wearing the same thing and they have the same hair the entire movie. So every time I'm just like, why? What are we? Okay, yeah, I thought what, he was with the. Uh, what Gene was Dave. about that English? Uh, I forgot what his rank was. Uh, the the guy that just got sent on errands all the time. Trotter. 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 Yeah. Trotter. What was the deal with him? Just randomly like, ah, you know what? Fuck it. I'm a pirate now. Yeah. I'm just going to shoot my friends. Hey, well, I mean, he was getting that's dumped Actually, on. that's like, that's not uncommon. If a pirate takes your ship and like, you're just like, uh, you could die or you could come over to us. Yeah. Yeah, yo ho. Yeah, it's like the entire time he's like trying to prove himself worthy of being a captain of a British ship, and then like he just randomly turns and starts shooting the British. I think that I do think that his random turn, I I think was stupid. I think they probably should have waited until the end and be like, "Oh, do you want to join us?" And he'd be like, "Arr, Arr, I've never Um, been respected before." Yeah, Yeah. like he just straight up shoots a dude, and then the guy goes, "What did you do that for?" And he's like. Uh, there's no future in the military or the, the Navy. So I'll just commit a quick murder yeah. and then ensure just... that I'll need to. There are more efficient ways. You don't need to necessarily commit a crime to be a pirate at first. You know, you can just you'll commit <laughs> crimes later. Well, and I think it's so funny. The ending, there's so much explosives. Yes. <laughs> like, bro- they're broadsides. Like, both of those ships would have gone down yeah. with those, that close of that activity. And uh, like, and it, the fact that they were like, oh, um, well, they were exploding this ship and they had no recourse to capture the treasure. They were yeah. just shooting the hell no, out no, of it. They did. They, they did. did. She, she tied a rope around it. <laughs> ropes, <laughs> ropes survive explosions. Ropes but she didn't do that before. Before she started exploding the ship. <laughs> oh, don't worry. About rope, it. it's fine. It's yeah, no, rope, rope, and fire, perfect uh, together. Rope will never be damaged by fire. Um, it will never cause problems when explosions are happening. Yeah. Um, tie it to all of your valuables and then tie a barrel to the other it's, side. It's funny. I think one of the reasons why this movie was such a flop uh, 
was because it went for a PG-13 rating, which I just think that was stupid. They really should have tried to get the PG rating. Yeah, just go um, younger and sillier. Yeah. What, what did God, they... even Muppet Treasure Island was a flop after this. Yeah, what even did that. They, what huh. did they yeah, do? Yeah, pirates were just poison. What got them the PG-13? There's, like, stabbings, and, they, you know, they're, oh, she's okay. carrying around her dad's scalp for most of the movie. You <laughs> that's know? A good I point. guess that's it. And there's, there's the one time where they search her by just groping her. And again, there's just the incredibly juvenile banter between her and Modine, and they have that yeah. makeout scene. Like, it's like, is, are you really putting the moves on her while she's bleeding? bleeding? You're putting your hand on her bullet wound. And they find out later that she—he's not even a doctor. No, why no. did he say he was a doctor? Yeah. I know exactly why he said he was a doctor. Because it sounds cooler. Yeah. And it helped him with what he was doing. But the fact that everyone else full sale took him at face value and nobody questioned, are you really a doctor? Yeah. And I just, I'm just not getting that roguish vibe off of Modi's right. performance here. He just seems like too, too much of like a good old boy. Like he doesn't, I don't know. He, he feels like he should be more of the straight laced like heroic type. Instead of being a rogue, he seems more like a little rascal. Yeah, he's just a scamp. He's yeah. a scamp. Uh, um, so so wild. You know, uh, I I do want to talk about the game a little bit because uh, we've kind of we've kind of reached the end of the movie. But uh, there is one last thing I want to shout out, which is that final line as she defeats Frank Langella's character, which it's shot in such a weird way. It, it feels like this really does feel like an insert shot. Like they thought of this line later and then they had her go back and reshoot it because <laughs> she gets like oh yeah the fi- she gets like the final line on him. And then she lights a cannon. A close-range cannon shot to the chest is what's going to kill the final villain. Pretty cool. Um, But, like, she lights the cannon. We cut to his face, and then we cut back to her, and she says, Bad dog. (laughs) It is... So bad. So cringy. It is so dumb. She had a perfectly good closing line right before that. It's clear that they added this in because they had no faith in that line landing. It's and then we get the goofy shot of like a dummy getting blown out the back of a tall ship. I think it's what you what the movie deserved for having the bad guy be called Uncle Dog or Bad Dog or yeah, whatever. Uncle Dog. Uncle Dog. D-A-W-G. Yeah. I mean, that that slang would have been in the vernacular at this point. Like, dog is like, you know, it, 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 oh, it was a real dog, thing. you. You know, so it, it was just really funny. But, you know, they, of course, because it's a movie like this, they can't. Well, you actually know that that's this is what I predicted. Like, because it's a movie like this, they can't take all the treasure but they do take all the treasure. They do take they, all they the win. treasure. They get all the treasure. How okay, did they, they get all the so, shit? You're blowing out the levels. Sorry. <laughs> so, so uh, something that really I thought was so weird at the end of this movie, they have all the treasure. Everyone could be talking about the the joys of what they want to spend their money on. Yeah. Instead, she's like, uh, fellow pirates, let's continue to be pirates. And everyone's like, nah. And she's like, Oh, please, <laughs> please, please. Can we continue to be pirates? Because, uh, oh, for I have no purpose in life. I'm um, on a farm. <laughs> nope. Sorry. You're, you're going, we're going pirate. Well, and it's so ridiculous in that they're going to Morocco and they're not even supplied to like. Um, <sighs> <laughs> was it this Morocco is just or Madagascar? It's Madagascar. Madagascar, Madagascar. Madagascar. Sorry. Even yeah, further. No, Even further. I mean, You're this right. is the same logic as like going to Vegas and like letting it ride on a craps table, you know? Like there's no actual legitimacy to like, you know, that when, thought. But yeah, they're they're just like they could walk away richer than any of them could ever be. And they're like, and nah, like, let's keep pirating. They had such like it was a great set piece but of they, all the treasure. But like 
How did they get it all? Yeah. <laughs> but they didn't even agree to continue pirating. They were giving a non-committal... Yeah. They didn't agree. Yay, we're going to be pirates. Or no, they're not going to be pirates. It was just completely non-committal. And it was so silly. And to be like... And then to like, I'll see you in my cabin right now. <laughs> like, dude, you're just dead. You're covered. Like, ugh. Everybody's all she beat up. Take a nap. Yeah. Previously, she... She like was holding her wound. Mm. She took a swig. She poured alcohol on the wound, held it again, went, oh, and then like five seconds later, both hands spreading out the map. Mm -hmm. I was like, ma'am, that is how you get it dirty. Mm -hmm. If this is what you do, how is it still so clean? Yeah. Uh, you know, they sail off into the sunset, off to make the uh, the long-running Cutthroat Island franchise that we all love. Uh, major moneymaker would go on in history. No, that is that is the end of that. Uh, a, a fascinating little movie. Really pretty fun, but requires a large amount of turning your brain off if you're going to uh, yeah, really kind of yeah. get into it. You don't Just don't think about it. <laughs> but uh, it did have a video game adaptation that has a couple of own, its own weird little things. Let's talk about Cutthroat Island, which was released in 1995, developed by Software Creations and published by Acclaim, and this came out on the Super NES, the Genesis, the Game Boy, and the Game Gear. Can I, can I say my, I don't know, lukewarm take? Okay. Better than the Lion King game. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. All right. We haven't gotten to that one yet. I I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember that. the Lion King game being very entertaining. I'm going to dispute that heartily. Okay. But well, when uh, we get to the Lion King, yeah. I'll revisit the game. I think it's been a while, but I do not remember enjoying it that much. I, I my prediction for the Lion King game is that uh, I'm going to like it less, and you're going to like it more than than we oh. remember. That's going to be my thought. I think we're going to kind of level out on that. But uh, Software Creations, we're going to come across a few times because they did a lot of licensed games. Most of them were early Marvel games, The Simpsons, Indiana Jones, Beauty and the Beast, Scooby-Doo, stuff like that. So a lot of those games were done by the same makers of this one. Now, this game is part of a rare and fascinating trend that I always love in video games, which is using in-game items to find real-world treasure. Um, so this game's box art, they advertise a sweepstakes where you could win prizes by locating the five hidden treasure chests in the game. Then you would call a hotline, tell them where you found the uh, chests, answer three trivia questions, and you get entered into a, sweeps a sweepstakes to win a quote-unquote boatload of prizes. Now, I was unable to confirm what prizes were given or if anybody ever bothered or to claim these. if it actually filled a boat. Or if it actually filled a boat. But, like, this is a, a fascinating... I Like, I imagine it's probably going to be pretty boring. It's like a VHS copy of the movie and maybe, like, a poster or something. But there was a trend back in the early 80s, and this is a side tangent, but i got to throw this out there because this story is incredible. There's a series of Atari games, EarthQuest, AirQuest, and SwordQuest, and... If you were to solve those three games, you would be able to find access to real treasure in real life that the company would send to you. And I'm not talking about promotional materials. I'm talking about an actual golden crown with jewels put in it that would probably be worth upwards of like $75,000. And no one knows what happened to those items. <laughs> uh, they're still out there somewhere. Like they're probably in an auction house and you could find it. And I've always been curious, but... They were Atari adventure games, and it was completely inscrutable to see what was going on. So, like, I don't know if anybody ever had any success, but it's an interesting story. Definitely look into that. 
Uh, this game, though, is your basic kind of side-scrolling brawler, similar to like Double Dragon, Streets of Rage, things like that. But the novel addition here is that uh, instead of just bare-knuckle brawling, you permanently have swords. So this is a side-scrolling fencing game, which uh, is, if nothing else, uh, a little unique for this time. Now, I played a little bit of both versions, a Genesis and a Super NES. They're both functionally identical. I think the graphics are smoother and the music is better on the super nes version but the genesis version has a brighter color palette um and really terrible music and the music in both versions are not very good but uh, this this is what i will say for this game i think it's got some nice like fluid looking animation um it, it honestly it looked good yeah no not bad i mean the backgrounds were drab uh, which was my big issue, but like the character movements, clearly some thought yeah. and some like skilled animation went into bringing those characters to life. Well, and I think it's funny because like uh, just even like last week uh, with Ice Nine, mm -hmm. uh, there's so many games that are loosely based on the movie, and this game is generally genuinely based on the movie. It is absolutely. The sprites look pretty good, although I really felt like the Shaw character looked like Peter Pan. <laughs> like didn't he, he look like he's wearing the little tunic and no pants? You know, he's just. Giving in a very strong Peter Pan vibe, but yeah, no, we got we got. I feel, if, I, if, I remember, if I'm remembering incorrectly, but I always remembered Peter Pan with pants. Oh no, no, Peter Pan does not wear pants. Tights. Peter Pan yeah. wears tights. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess they're a form of pant. Like he's not freeballing yeah. it, you know. But he is, Look, you know. It's things are tucked away, but it's not pants. I I'm not very well literate on tights. I just always <laughs> throw them into the pants ish category. Yeah. I'm wearing Spanx right now, so, like, I no. get it. No. Um, yeah, but, like, I, I particularly appreciate, like, you were talking about how, like, gorgeous her hair looks in this movie. Like, they animated her hair very well. Like, it looks like her in the movie. Um, and I think the sword fighting mechanics look pretty smooth. They even do a costume change uh, in the in the cart, which oh, yeah. she's wearing the outfit that she was uh, in the carriage scene. Yeah. The carriage escape with. But the problem is, I think the gameplay is incredibly repetitive and pretty boring after a minute. Like, you do get to unlock some special moves as you complete each level, but the special moves are pretty difficult to execute, and really it's just a lot of, like, stab, stab, poke, poke, move to the next screen, yeah. stab, stab, poke, poke. It's it's a lot less interesting than other, like, beat-em-ups and stuff. When did uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game come out? Oh, that was like 88, 89. Yeah. Like, yeah. Which is so, still a classic of the genre. Yeah. 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 There's definitely better games that you could pull from and at least like look at and get ideas of like uh, gauging of like, oh, okay, well, this game was this good. Yeah. These were the things that made it good. Uh, let's like work on some of that. But, yeah, I'm I'm surprised we haven't come across this genre more because it was the trend back in uh, the early '90s of like if you had a license and needed to crank out like a quick and easy video game, you just make it a side-scrolling beat 'em up and yep. call it a day. So I think we are going to encounter a lot of these types mm -hmm. of games, but it's weird that this is kind of the first, or there maybe there's some that I'm forgetting from earlier on. But yeah, this feels like one of the earlier ones that we uh, talked about. What was the one? There was another game where it would the the game that we played also involved swords and walking around and stuff. Oh, um, I don't. It was a little more Dracula. Like maybe it was Dracula. Yeah, Dracula was kind yeah. of that. Um, yeah, I, f I forget exactly what it is, but yeah, it, yeah this it was a this more is like Castlevania, Metroidvania. But. This this was the like 
kind of lazy game adaptation uh, playbook right here. You just like make it a beat em up and then you call it a day. And uh, like they, they put a little bit more effort into the animation than they probably needed to. Uh, made it a tiny bit of a technical showcase in that regard. But really, uh, much like the movie, you're kind of getting everything you expect from a game like this. So we're going to get a beat em up section and then there's going to be a minecart section. Yeah. And then a beat em up. Well, and, and there's no easy way to continue your game and mm. you're very oh, limited no. in lives so it's just like I it's one of those games that. that you just have to memorize and yeah. I, I i do get frustrated with games you have to memorize all the time like it, it just doesn't seem as fun or as fluid as games where you you're actually playing i never had the patience for it i really admire people on youtube like doing these walkthroughs where like they they've clearly like put the time into it and remember yeah. every little move you know and i i could never do that i just don't have the focus for it uh you know so it, i don't know the we we did watch a little bit of a walkthrough and apparently you can beat this whole thing in about 45 minutes if you know what you're doing which seems yeah. about right and the the person that we were watching seemed to be good and seemed to know like what was coming and stuff but they didn't seem they weren't like speed running like if they unlocked an item or something, yeah, they would chill for a sec, yeah, uh, leave the text up on the screen and stuff. So yeah, um, no, I mean it's it's a pretty unremarkable game, yeah. in all. I, uh, I it's just so like slightly below average. Yeah, I mean it, it's yeah it's it's got I say a slightly below average and since like slightly below okay. It's got like a baseline competence to it, but uh, I think we all got pretty bored with it pretty quickly. Yeah. I, for for me, it was the minecart level, which is level two, just because it, it just feels ten percent clunkier than it and needs so, to. And we didn't explore this, and neither did the person that we watched. But there was another combat style option for brawling. Yeah. And I wonder how that went. And I also wonder if it would have been more interesting to just have those be interchangeable throughout. Yeah. Either like, this is a brawling section, this is a sword section, uh, you're brawling until you get a sword, stuff like that. I mean, you can pick up other weapons in this game too, but they don't yeah. really seem to change the dynamic very much. You can pick much. up a buckler, which is a tiny shield. Which yes. I, thought, I really appreciated that from a historical fighting perspective. I appreciated learning exactly what a buckler was, finally. I, I've heard that term forever. I, did, I, I thought it was like something that went on your armor. You nope. know, like I thought it was like a like a cod piece or something. It's a buckler. It's a little round buckle. shield. Oh, makes uh, sense. But um, I think it's really interesting uh, that this game um, sort of uh, it, it it has such a the fighting style isn't terribly difficult, but it's no. not terribly fun. It, it's definitely like you can. It's it's not like an artful fighting style. It's a yeah. lot of button mashing, which yeah. Yeah. We learned pretty early on, like, if you just kind of crouch and stab, do a little crab walk and stab, then you're, that's going to get you through most of the fights that you need to worry about. <laughs> and the guy in the, the, was doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but it was interesting because at one point, J-Ban was playing, and I was, like, hearing the clickety-clackety of the controller, and I was like, oh, this is what it always looks like in, like, commercials and stuff where somebody's, like, playing the PlayStation and then I, I it was very clear, like, I mean, I was doing the same thing. Uh, like, that's how you had to play this game. But it was, like, the, like, super button mashy, like... Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, like, if somebody's, like, acting us, like they're playing yeah, video games. All it and, needed yeah, was yeah. us being more excited. And yeah. It would have been commercial worthy. 
Yeah, but the the game was not giving us a whole lot of reasons to get excited, you know, truth yeah. be told. Like, yeah, the the movie is at least a fascinating fiasco if, and uh, uh, pretty entertaining on its own goofy merits, but uh, this game is just average. Yeah. And what it needed was it, it needed a more convoluted development story. <laughs> yeah, I think we need a longer one. I am curious what made more money, this game or the movie. It's got to be... The game probably tanked, right? Like, the game yeah. must have tanked. This had no uh, crossover appeal. It kind of made me wonder, because, uh, like, at the time, movies were, and even today, movies are significantly more uh, mainstream than video games. Even yeah. Video games have gone so far into the mainstream. Um, back then, if this game had a tumultuous development cycle, would anybody even talk about it? Like, yeah. Would we even know? Yeah, it probably like like yeah. The, I, I think at this point, like if that one thing had gone wrong with this production, it would have yeah. gotten canceled. The, like the yeah. product lead could have been the worst person anybody involved had ever worked with. Yeah, and uh, we could we would never know. It is ultimately kind of the most surprising thing about this game is just that it got out at all. Like, just given how yeah. toxic this movie's reputation was, like, it's uh, kind of amazing that this got released. When did it release in relation to the movie? Uh, same time. Yeah. Same time. Yeah, I don't think it was day and date, but it was right around the same time. They were both late in uh, 95. So, so production had already started before they would have been like, oh, hey. Oh, yeah, yeah. It would have uh, been underway. This isn't, you know, reading so well. Not uh, so great. Yeah. Well, let's move on to our uh, uh, final thoughts on these. Is this uh, a good movie, good game, a bad movie, bad game, or somewhere in between? Justin, why don't you kick us off today? Where, where are you landing? Oh, boy. Um, definitely for movie, uh, I I think I lean more towards bad movie than I will the game. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, you have to really turn off, like, a lot of thought while watching the movie yeah um and it just all around makes it a very kind of less interesting experience okay um and then the game also is like yeah subpar for sure it's not bad no but it's also there's nothing great yeah have- nothing too interesting once you've played the first two levels it's like oh okay how about you, JVM? Where are you coming down? I'm coming down as a childhood classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this movie uh, is also spectacular for female representation, even though it's sort of bad. <laughs> um, it's still, you know, it's still a female-led movie in a time when, like, what? They were female-led movies were five, six years apart yeah. from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, And it's a woman with a sword, so it's after my own heart. Uh, I think the game is kind of bad, but I don't... Um, like, it's definitely functional, mm-hmm. and uh, like we've played a lot worse, so I'm hesitant to say bad uh, because it is functional, but I'm just going to say bad. Yeah, yeah. Follow your heart on that one, I think. Yeah, uh, I'm... I'm I'm pretty soft on the movie because like it is deeply dumb, but I also get on board with the spirit of what they're trying to do, and ultimately I think it's harmless. You know, like it's it's just kind of like a a silly little romp that you know it's it's not really going to enrich your life, but you you're not going to waste your time with it. So it's a marginal good movie. And it's also a marginal good game. They're both kind of just barely squeaking in there. Well, no, I'm going to go bad game, actually, because I immediately after saying it out loud, I tipped it the other way because 
it's just very mediocre and bland. Um, you heard the blasphemy come out of your own mouth. I, I heard it. I'm like, you know what? I'm course correcting on this. I don't. I, I might want to run for Congress one day. Um, yeah, no, I this think is it is a bad we'll use game. Against you. Yeah, this is gonna resurface. Yeah. Oh, he gave a he gave a positive review to Cutthroat Island on Super Nintendo of both the movie and the game, technically. Yeah. Oh man, I'll flame out faster than Ron DeSantis. Hey, cultural <laughs> reference. Zing, 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 zing. That's people are. By the time this episode comes out which is like not long after that happened people have already completely forgotten who that is yeah. so uh, unless they fun. live in florida and exactly. then they have to live it and then they've got their own problems the gator people are rising <laughs> um so yeah i think that's where we came down on cutthroat island so thank you everybody for listening thank you guys for coming in late and doing a recording on a monday night i certainly appreciate it uh, we've got a fun one coming up next week. Uh, maybe a little redundant to have another Disney so close to Wally, but you know what? We've got a lot of these Disneys coming up, so uh, we're going to be talking about 1967's The Jungle Book, Ooh. which is a, just oh. an absolute banger okay. of an animated film, uh, which I'm really looking forward to doing. And there's a couple of video games based on that movie, so we're going to be talking about that. We're going to just the bare necessities, though, like nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing elaborate, nothing elaborate. All right, y'all. Well, we will see you next time for The Jungle Book. And uh, Yoho, Land Ho, Ho Ho. Do you think we could train Rivet to to do stuff like the monkey? I think we definitely can. Absolutely. We're going to get on that right now. 